I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. 2022, and here we are, folks. And you know that your performance is built on a platform of health. But how healthy are you? Are you really set up to thrive? Will you optimize your results from all that hard work that you're going to put in this year? Why don't you find out? Do what Purple Patch athletes do. Have a little look inside. Yes, we leverage the toolkit of insights and recommendations delivered via Inside Tracker. Now, this isn't some special source or voodoo quick fix. Instead, what we get from utilizing Inside Tracker is some actionable information and insights so that we can, as athletes, focus on the aspects of our performance that will create meaningful change. And January being January, it's baseline month. So why don't you take advantage right now, get a baseline, and then we can track it throughout the year together. All you have to do, head to insidetracker.com slash purplepatchpodcast. Go there, enter the code purplepatchpro25, that's purplepatchpro25, and you're going to get 25% off. All right, now, on with today's show. It's a goodie. It's all about running. You guys need it. Here we go. Welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And folks, it is time to rewrite the approach to training for running. I want to revolutionize your mindset and your strategy for your running training so that you can reduce risk, amplify the fun, and create a path to the results that you want. It all sounds rather grandiose, doesn't it? Perhaps even you might think quackery, but it isn't because it's the approach that I'm going to outline today that I have been doing for many folks for several years, and we've achieved some wonderful personal results. And so today's show, it's all about running, but with a twist. And so if you are one of those repeat offenders that's always sidelined with niggles and injuries, or you're frustrated with a plateau of results, or perhaps you're simply intimidated by running, you just believe the sport isn't for you. It's just too darn hard. Today's show can change everything for the good. Running performance demystified. It's the focus of today's show. But before we dive in, I think we should do a little squatty update. Yes, Squatty Update, we charge forward. And as mentioned before the holidays, we at Purple Patch are expanding our programming. And we're doing that to align with the evolved Purple Patch listeners and followers. That's you guys. We're still driving forward with triathlon via one-to-one coaching and our tri-squad. Very successful and popular programs. But next week, we get to release two new programs. The first is titled Run Squad. The second, Bike Squad. You get it? Picture it. Come to the Purple Patch website, purplepatchfitness.com. Are you a triathlete? Are you focused more on running? Do you want to anchor your lifestyle performance in cycling? Or perhaps you just want to utilize our video-based strength program. Well, now we're going to have options for you. I will say that today's show is going to provide some important groundwork in the backbone of the Run Squad methodology. But both Bike and Run Squad are going to be exciting and really useful programs. Bike Squad being a little more lifestyle and performance focused for people that just want to improve their riding. Running, you can train for events with that. Or you can also be a bit more of a fitness enthusiast just so that you can improve your running performance. But both of these programs, at least to begin, we are releasing as a limited access. We want to make sure that we can give a hearty hello and really support the initial athletes. And so we've restricted it, only 50 spots for registration on each. Now, we're up there already, but we are able to sneak a few more in. So we're going to add 20 more spots this week, no more than that. And if you're interested, if you want to get in right at the ground zero, that you can learn and join with us as we go along this journey, just head to purplepatchfitness.com. 
Go to the page that's suitable for you, Run Squad, Bike Squad, etc. Let us know of your interest and we will, of course, send you the details. There's no commitment. If it ends up not being right for you, hey, that's great. You're still a Purple Patch fan. You can still listen and learn. We are going live right around January 24th. And so I would say you better act pretty darn fast. What about triathletes? We shouldn't forget about you. And guess what? You guys don't have to wait because we're live. We're rolling. We've got a great program. We've got a super community. And this is the ideal time to begin your journey. All you have to do is head to TriSquad or reach out to info at purplepatchfitness.com where we can have an individual conversation with you about the merits of our coaching program. And so head to the website, email us, whatever suits, but triathletes, come on, let's get cracking. It's time. Talking about cracking, Barry, stand up, my friend. I can see some crack there. I don't like that. Stand up, get the banjo ready. I hope that the calluses have healed on your fingers. You had a nice break over the holidays, but now it is time for us to get dancing again. And we need your tunes because, folks, it is Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the word of the week this week is graffiti. What the blooming heck is he talking about? What's graffiti got to do with performance? Well, I want to tell you a little quick story about graffiti. And for this story, we need to go all the way back to 2008, just after Kelly and I first meeting each other. Ah, the romance. This is in many ways a love story. But after about a year together, Kelly and I decided that we were going to go house hunting. Not an easy feat with the fact that we were living in San Francisco. Have you seen the real estate prices? There you go. But we were excited. It was our first house together. And while we were in the hunt, we got introduced to some local high school kids, and they offered to paint us a graffiti on the wall of our apartment that we were sharing. Well, cool. But we also knew that we had a house looming. And so we said, we'd love you to do a little bit of graffiti art, feeling very cool and hipster-like but could you do it on a canvas so we can move it if we like it? Well, the word that we chose for the kids to graffiti was evolve. Why? Well, this word was meaningful. It was in many ways our commitment, a commitment to ourselves, to each other and together, and as business owners, because we both believed and believe that we are always growing. And if not, we're wilting. To perform and to improve, each of us must always strive for growth, for evolution. It's one of our most important sayings at Purple Patch, evolve or die. You see, folks, you don't stand still. You can't tread water. You can grow, improve, evolve, or you regress. And so that means as we go into this year, we can't rest on our laurels. We can't take our eye off the ball. That is the essence of the performance journey. It takes action. And so the graffiti, what happened to it? Well, it came to our new home and it lived with us for more than 10 years in that lovely place. And recently, we just sold that house. And as we left, we gifted it to the new owners who themselves were first-time buyers. But the message of that graffiti stays in our hearts and in the heart of Purple Patch. And I hope in your mindset as you hit this year. Because plateaus are meant to be broken. You can improve. You will achieve your goals, but not by simply repeating what you've done before. You must grow, learn, evolve. And so, listen to the graffiti. Keep an open mind. It's our word of the week. And with that, Barry, talking about evolution, talking about not resting on the laurels, talking about not just repeating broken patterns, we are plotting a way to evolve the way that folks are going about training for running. And so it is time for us to get tucked into the meat and potatoes. Yes, it is the meat and potatoes. And this is a show that I have been excited about. I've been thinking about for a long time and I've been 
sitting on my hands getting ready to do this. We are talking about running training today, folks. And not just running training and trying to improve your running, but absolutely revolutionizing your mindset and your approach. And so in order for me to be fair, we should also start the show by talking about classic run training and some of the coaches, because I think this is really important grounding for us. Let me first state, before we launch in today's meat and potatoes, that there are some really, really good running coaches out there. Elite coaches helping elite runners achieve some amazing feats. And the programs that they build are suitably all anchored in running. And that's because they're playing the game at the razor's edge of refinement so that they can help their athletes sneak small percentage gains that are often the difference between a win or not a win. An Olympic spot or a spot on the couch where you're watching as a spectator. And these coaches and these athletes following these programs, I've been really, really lucky to meet and interact and learn from many of these great coaches, and I have the highest respect for them. And as we go through today, what I'm not doing is trying to second guess them or their methodologies. They are elite coaches helping elite runners. But, and this is the big but, and it's really the essence of today's thesis, as it were, The truth is, at the same time of saying all of that, that the vast majority of generic and normal running training approaches for the massive percentage of, let's call us normal folks, are simply built off the methods that these elite coaches utilize for elite runners. And so it's kind of a case of mimic the elite, but then just dilute it down, water it down a little bit. It's almost like homeopathy. And no one, at least next to no one, has ever paused to ask, hang on, is this the best path to achieve success with a less elite person in a sport that's weight-bearing and has a high, high propensity for soft tissue injury? Is this actually the best way to help people thrive and enjoy and succeed at running? Well, I began asking that question several years ago. I know I'm a little bit contrarian sometimes, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to test some new things out. I'm going to try a few theories that I have, coaching multi-sport athletes, triathletes, and I'm going to see what sticks. And over the course of the last years, with a wide range of athletes, we've found some really interesting insights that all add up to Without being too presumptuous, and I know it sounds a little bit like that, you might even stray into thinking it sounds a little bit egotistical, but I think that we have stumbled into, let's call it a better way. And so I want to dig in. And let's dig in with a really basic question. I want to keep this in mind, this question in mind, as we go through a few profiles of athletes. The question is, What do these folks all have in common? I'm going to give you a little profile on each. Okay, let's start. 2X Purple Patch Professional Triathlete, Sarah Piampiano and Cecilia Davis-Hayes. Now, they decided at the end of one of their triathlon seasons to take on a marathon. They both were inspired. What could I achieve? And you know what happened? Both Cecilia, CDH as we call her, and Sarah Piampiano, little poo as I call her, both blew their expectations out of the water. They finished in two hours and 45 minutes. Okay. And how about Kelly McMaster? Yeah, that Kelly, my wife, 51 years of age, who has absolutely no running background at all. And she navigates life having to get through osteoarthritis and bone on bone in both knees. And she was told she could, quote, never run again. But she happily finished a marathon without pain 45 minutes faster than her dream goal. And her firstest miles of that marathon, the last six miles. And how about Tim Deer at 56 years of age, almost 200 pounds, finishing the crazily hard Badwater 135-mile running race, all set in the devastating heat of Death Valley. And his finish time, Ah, four or five hours ahead of what he anticipated. Top 10 overall, the first finisher over 50, who was also the heaviest finisher in the race as well. Not bad, Tim. 
How about Ignacio Lopez and Man Cesador, age group triathlete, time staffed executive, family with four kids, who decided, you know what, I'm going to tag on the New York Marathon. I'm going to try and break two hours and 50 minutes in this thing. Yeah, he's a fasty, folks. But you know what he ended up at? Two hours and 34 minutes. In the same race, Jordan Oweda, a New York-based executive, and a father who's edging towards 50 years of age, but keeps getting faster and faster year on year by running less and less, who absolutely shocked his friends a couple of years ago when he completed the Boston Marathon in a PR finish, but then backed it up with the mighty Big Sur Marathon just two weeks apart with another PR, all on a recipe of three weekly runs. Whew, okay, enough, surely you think I'm done, yeah? But you guys need to hear these. Kim Corvus who was stuck in an injury cycle, never-ending frustration, but finally, finally managed to break into consistency, a really healthy block of enjoyable running, and successfully finished in her big goal, a half marathon in under two hours. And finally, Dina Fortescue, who declared, I should point out, I cannot run and I don't run. Now, she didn't have the same sort of voice as my mother used to carry, but you get the idea. I cannot run and I don't run. But now is entered in her first ultra 50 kilometer trail running race. Not in the pursuit of chasing podiums. Instead, going after the experience, the challenge, the satisfaction. And now that same Dina, I cannot run, I don't run, who identifies as a runner who has managed to fall in love with the sport and the community that's around it. And these are a lot of examples. Do you even remember the question? It was, what do they all have in common? Well, the answer to that is really simple. Each and every one of these profiles, these athletes, embraced and utilized a multi-sport approach to their running training. It wasn't triathlon training. It was a multi-sport approach. From the pointy end of the field to those converted from naysayers and non-believers into absolute lovers of the sport, all of them find themselves united with the fact that they had the courage to find their own personal brand of performance through an evolved mindset and approach. Now, you notice that I didn't bring up the name Ryan Hall. And some of you guys know, yes, Ryan Hall, under my guidance, did a two-hour and four-minute Boston Marathon finish. Why would I not bring him into the game? Well, because of the same way as I started the piece. This was my one and only venture into pure elite running. But we didn't utilize a multi-sport approach for Ryan. We did Lenford strength training, but Ryan was suitably, appropriately pure running. Now, I am not, let me double underline this, I'm not an elite running coach guiding pros. That's not my job. There are many others that are better than me. But I did get lucky enough to help Ryan through a time when I could be useful and he was in need to deliver a special result. But that's not the point of today. Today, we're talking about you and your needs and us normal folk. And we're going to go into the evolved approach and those that have embraced the multi-sport approach. That's what I want to unpack. But I want to warn you, in order for you to adopt and embrace this, it's going to require bravery. It's going to require courage because it's going to be different than what the books say. It's perhaps against the grain of most common perceptions of what it takes to be successful in running. And it's going to be against many of the very well-meaning voices of your more experienced friends who are more than likely to poo-poo the mindset and the approach. But I promise you this, if you listen and you like and you adopt and you do it all in, no half steps, I almost promise you that you will improve, enjoy the journey more and be in a much better position to stay healthy. So with that, we hold hands and we go in. Let's do it, team. We want to go through three things. The first, of course, we need to strip down my perceptions around the challenges in a single sport approach for folks like you listening. The second 
are the components that make up what we are labeling a multi-sport approach to running. And finally, I want to give you a little guidance in each of those components of how to best put it into action. Because hopefully you can leave today and be pretty well equipped to say, you know what, I'm going to go and give it a crack. But first, let's come to the single sport. Run, run, run. What are the challenges with that? Well, let's do a checklist to this. And there are three main points that we should talk about. The first is, quite frankly, it's high risk. You see, most plans that you purchase and approaches utilize for running are designed around the accumulation of weekly miles or hours. If you look at almost any training program for a half marathon, a 10K or a marathon, you're going to see 8, 10, 12, 14, 20 weeks of training. This is going to typically include an increasing weekly mileage. In fact, runners intuitively discuss, how many miles did you do last week? Oh, I'm a 40 miles per week person. It's just embedded in their mindset, in their culture, in their language. But the problem with this is we are asking folks to ramp mileage in a single discipline running under weight-bearing conditions, whether or not their bodies are actually able to absorb. And the truth is that the ramp of the mileage is often steeper than the capacity for the athlete's tissue to actually adapt. And that is because it's all bought on by the time pressure of gaining the cardiovascular fitness and muscular endurance requirements to be successful in the events. So folks have these events looming. They ramp, ramp, ramp because that's what needs to happen but their chassis just can't absorb the work. Now, the runner complies with the build, of course, because it's the plan, but it's all completed in a linear plane, so single direction for the most part, the same muscle groups, the same stimulus. And then we wonder why injuries occur. And we wonder why so many folks are frustrated a single discipline, weight-bearing, ramping mileage in an almost linear fashion? Hmm, what could go wrong? The second component that I'm not a fan of in a single sport approach is that it ends up creating a limited framework for coach and athlete to work in. We don't have many levers to pull. You see, in a single sport approach, both the coach and athlete are literally restricted to a single tool in the toolbox, and that is running. Now, if we pause and take a step back here, the training mission is really quite simple. What we're looking to do in training is to develop, on one hand, really, really strong cardiovascular conditioning. And the second component that we're looking to do is to improve muscular resilience. And as we do that and we come out of it, we then specifically train for the rigors of the chosen event. If you're getting ready for a 5K, it's a little bit more speed focus. If you're getting ready for an ultra marathon, it's a little bit more endurance focused, of course. But if all we have to achieve this is the single sport running, we're going to quickly find ourselves pretty limited. Why? Well, any niggle or setback that you have means that basically the athlete has no opportunity for continued progression. And on top of that, even a healthy athlete, if they go and execute any hard interval session, it's going to deliver appropriately high muscle damage. But in order for that athlete to maintain health, it requires for several days following much lower stress work until you can do it again. You see, with a pure running program, you can only, quote, hit it hard about twice a week without massive risk of injury. And on top of it, any niggle that we have, you're suddenly stuck with just rehab solutions. Okay, the Achilles is gone again. Why don't you integrate some aqua jogging or some elliptical? But these aren't viewed as training tools. Instead, they're band-aids so that the athlete can stop regression while they're waiting for a return to health so they can get progressing again on their training. So that becomes quite limiting. Now, the third component 
is the inability for many, many folks to actually truly nail best value in training sessions. And this final component of single sport is a little less of a factor for the more fast runners, the more elite athletes. It's not a problem because they have a lot of gears to go through in speeds. But the majority, the large majority, the mortals, suddenly work out that, hang on, running's kind of hard. It's tough. It's weight-bearing. It comes at a cost. And for many folks, if you say, hey, go out on a smooth and steady run, that experience is something that's somewhat foreign to them. You see, if you go out right now and run for a few minutes and you're at a calm, controlled, conversational pace with all of the elements of your best running form, for many folks, this isn't sustainable for very long at all. They either go through an ever-increasing cost in heart rate and breathing, or very quickly, the form starts to come apart. Of course, it could be both. And this is really normal for folks. And so what ends up happening is single sport athletes look at a training program, look at a run, and end up maybe with a little flash of good running form to begin, but then very quickly declining to a slog. And they go through with an ever-decreasing form profile, ever-increasing cost, and it's just simply not good training. Slogging through with poor form, ever-increasing cost, it's just miserable. But it's also higher trauma and therefore amplified injury risk. And so the only shingle that the athlete has to hang on to is a little badge of honor. Oof, I survived five miles. But the truth is, that yeah, you might have felt like you looked like Usain Bolt to begin, but you finished much more like you were returning from the trenches in World War I. And that ain't good. It's no wonder that folks become disenchanted, low on joy, and eroding confidence. You see, the truth is that single sport running training for so many is littered with frustration. It's a joy vacuum. And it is a reason to amplify and get very, very friendly with your physical therapist. And we don't want that. And so, what is a multi-sport approach? Let's break out the components, because it's important that we understand the components of a multi-sport approach to running. And the good news is it's really simple. The even better news is it's really flexible. You can actually take these components and tailor them to your situation, your level, to find the right recipe for you. Now, you're going to hear me talk a lot about the program, and that's because each of these are not mutually exclusive. They all work together to create your recipe or your program. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through them. Component number one is running. Yes, <laughs> you need to run. And it remains absolutely central to your program. It is your bullseye. We build the other components about it. But the key to this is how we set up your run in terms of frequency, duration, intervals. Because we are seeking the overall program, the overall recipe, as we talked about. And that includes the other components. And this is really important. And so a multi-sport approach to running is not running training with a few other little supporting elements. It is a program that is truly anchored in multi-sport so that you can improve your running performance. And therefore, of course, one of the central components is going to be running. It's a large piece of the puzzle, but it is not the only piece of the puzzle. Okay, so we've got running. We put that stake in the ground. What would be second? It's strength. You see, in every program, there is an ongoing focused engagement in strength training. A proper endurance athletes and total body focus program on strength. Now, when we say this, it's kind of an umbrella statement or term. Because when I say strength training, it includes, includes yes, strength, but also stability, core, mobility. And it's anchored not just in, oh, can we improve your tissue health so that you get a little bit less injury occurrence. Instead, it's anchored in a mindset as a tool of performance enhancement. Through the strength, we want the athlete to be robust, to be able to establish great posture, to be able to gain enhancement in movement patterns, and to develop great resilience 
to a drop in form as the inevitable fatigue drops in during training and racing. And so the standalone strength component of the program provides a platform to achieve great posture and form, to maintain great posture and form, and then, of course, optimize the training returns from the effort that you put in on the run training. You see how they mesh together? Super. So now we're two components in, and they're working together. But there's another, a really important other one. The third piece of the puzzle is where the multi in multi-sport comes in. You see, we like to integrate a supporting sport or sports to become a part of the program. Now, there is high flexibility in what sports you might choose, but we tend to lean into sports dependent on what the athlete likes to do, is able to do, some folk can't swim, for example, and has access to. Now, let me first explain the why. There's a few reasons behind this. Let's go back to when we talked about training for running. We are training. In other words, we're applying a physiological stress on the body to force positive adaptations. We are training, remember, to first improve cardiovascular conditioning and secondly, so that we can develop muscular endurance. Great. We then tailor the stress, which is the training, to the specific demands of the events that the athlete's getting ready for. Super. Well, the only rule, official rule that there is that says, hey, you must use running as the modality to improve your cardiovascular conditioning and muscular endurance for running. The only rule that is there is one that is made by tradition, dogma, textbooks, but it doesn't make it true. So stay with me here. Why don't we instead lean into other less risky non-weight-bearing sports that have a lower muscle impact so that you can really, number one, increase the lever, the stress on the cardiovascular system. Your heart's a pump. Train it. And so for this part of the equation, there is no reason that rowing or swimming or elliptical or, of course, cycling cannot help in our goal. It's different, it's fun, and it's less risky. And add to that, secondly, that there are certain disciplines out there that are also less impactful, that deliver less muscular stress, but still include some really amazing cross-pollination effect to improve an athlete's run. Now, this isn't all sports out there, but there are a few that are really, really powerful for this. Cycling, especially when you do high torque, low cadence work, it tends to feed really, really well into running performance. So does rowing, cross-country skiing, even a little bit of elliptical. And all of these, when you anchor them in very strong intervals, come with much lower risk and also a much lower case of form decline. And so what we do with the third sport is we build some very strong intervals in related modalities. And then we blend that with your running accumulation. And yes, in your running, you still do intervals. The intervals depend on your level. And so weaker runners might be doing walking intervals on a treadmill, but more elite ender runners might be doing a track session. More of that in soon. But what we're looking to do is to build a performance recipe. Okay, so there's three components. You've got running, you've got strength, You've got this third modality, so the multi-sport supporter. And finally, to be really transparent, I need to then revisit the run portion as the fourth component. Because the fourth component of a successful multi-sport approach is the integration of walk breaks into that running training. Yes, walk breaks. I'm not talking about emerging from Whole Foods with two bags of shopping. I'm talking about purposeful power walking. Now, these are really powerful tools to integrate. They're important. They reset your posture, your form, as well as provide a wonderful mental breakpoint in the monotony. Now, most of the athletes that I talked about earlier in the show, all of those profiles that I went through, a lot of them fought this to begin. I'm not doing walk breaks. I'm going to lose too much time. But absolutely all of them now embrace walk breaks and they're experiencing the rewards. Our two-hour and 34-minute marathon runner took walk breaks during the event. 
And Kelly had to show really big patience early in her marathon, where she integrated planned walk breaks and was met with encouragement from the spectators. Come on, get going. You can do it. Get back running. But she had to ignore and bravely integrate them. And guess what? Benefited. Remember what I said? Her fastest miles were the last six miles. Hmm. Now, folks, these are the building blocks, four main components. Running training, done sensibly as a part of the program. Strength, a multi-sport, so an additional sport or more. And integrating walk breaks into the program. And this comes up to build the program, the recipe, and a completely different lens on what training of running looks like. Okay, so now what we want to do is we want to go each of the, through the, each of those four elements really briefly and help you at least start to put it into action. And so let me ask you a question. Are you ready to be bold and brave? Because your success is going to require it. To put this into action is going to require a completely different mindset, a fresh lens, new ground, leaving much of your prior approach, as well as many of the barometers that you utilized to monitor success behind. You're not going to be able to look at weekly running hours or miles and think, hmm, that was a good week or a bad week. You won't be able to complete a run without taking a walk break and thinking, well, at least I didn't walk and think it's successful. And you won't even be able to associate rampant muscle pain and tissue pain and saying, well, there it is. Hard work. I'm getting better. This is not a quick hit program. It's going to take patience. It's going to require that you embrace the journey. And so what I want to do is just go through each element and give you some examples. Okay. So we should start a running, shouldn't we? It makes sense. Let's keep in the order that we outline the components. A few pieces of the puzzle here. What does successful running look like? Okay. Here's the headline news. A lot, and I mean much, most of your running should be easy. Wow, doesn't that sound nice? Now, I can hear you already. If you're one of those folks that's thinking, well, hang on, my running is never freaking easy. No matter how slow I go, it just hurts. Don't worry, because that's pretty normal. And what that means is that a bunch of your program, at least to begin, is going to be walking or then evolving to walking with some run breaks in it, or then evolving to finally running with some walk breaks. You see how oh, I flipped that around? It was important. There's a big difference between running with walk breaks and walking with run breaks. You get it, yeah? Lean in. Okay, the second component. You are going to want to be running frequently. We're going to go on a path where we're going to build tissue resilience and muscular endurance via the magic word of consistency. Now, this could be daunting, but don't let it be because the vast majority of your runs are easier, but on top of it, a whole bunch of them are going to be short. We don't want you slogging along. Now, without diving into details, what we like to try and do is sneak running and tissue resilience accumulation. And some folks, look, they prefer just a few weekly runs, and you can get that in there. But others, others of our athletes run 10 times weekly. But bear that in mind that when I say that, it sounds awful. But many of these runs are just little add-ons to a strength session or a multi-sport session. And they might be 7, 10, 15, 20 minutes, just sort of through the back door, as it were. A third component is that you would need to be prepared to hit some highly specific intervals in your running. Yes, in your running training, a lot of it is easy, but also there are some really tough sessions. And interval training is central to this. The body likes and demands variance. Now, for faster runners, that might include some incredibly gut-wrenching hill repetitions or a fast track session. But for the less equipped runners, they might be doing hill intervals while you're walking on a treadmill. But the key is everyone does intervals. And guess what? Over time, they become fun. And the final component of your run training is we don't hang our shingle on the long run. But we do like you to do some extended endurance running. It's really important. You kind of got to do the miles. But the key is that you want to do them right. And that often means soft surface, often trail running, 
integrated walk breaks, very socially paced. And that means that the long feared drags of the long run is often replaced with just really well-managed tours of nature. And they often become real joys for folks. Now, how much you run on these versus walk, that really depends on your level, as well as your fatigue on the day, your injury profile, components like that. And that's where the individualization starts to occur. Great. So that's a little snapshot of the running. What about strength? Well, this one's a little quicker and pretty simple. It is ongoing, year-round, and never drops from the program. Why? Because it's an integral part of your program. The good news of this is it doesn't take much. You need to do a couple of main sessions a week, typically 20, 30, maybe up to 40 minutes in duration. And then in support of that, if we're lucky, if we're able, we can get in two or three, maybe 10 minute sessions to work on core mobility and overall tissue health. And like anything else, in order for this to become an integrated place, we need to go through a habit building mindset. So many people think of strength as a nice add-on. Important. I value it. And I'll do it as long as I get my running training in. But no, you have to shift the lens and see it as an essential component of the program that is going to facilitate performance improvement. And as soon as you do that, once you get into the habit, hey, there's no difference in value between a running session and a strength session. They're equal partners in the program. Great. What about multi-sport? This is where the magic happens. This is where the magic happens. Folks, this is where the magic happens. Did you hear that? I said it three times. Good. Let me give you some examples. Let's first talk about the bike. Now, whether you're on a bike trainer or a Peloton or a hotel spin bike, this can become an incredibly valuable tool for you. And it's our number one preference. We build athletes towards some very strong bike based intervals. Now, some of these sessions will include some short interval, 30, 60 second at very high intensity. And it's stuff that is going to get your heart rate pounding in your chest. You're going to get out of puff, I promise you. But the good news is it won't destroy you. Now, let's face it. If I said to you right now, go to the track and I want you to run 10 by 200 meters at your best effort, 50% of you guys listeners will be injured next week. But if I said to you guys, all right, go 10 by one minute, best effort on the bike, everyone's ready to go for a run tomorrow. And so short intervals, high intensity, a good tool in the toolbox and less risky. The other side of the bike that we leverage is what we like to label the special source. Yes, we like to integrate a lot of low cadence. So that's low speed pedaling, high torque bike intervals very, very muscular effort that build what we call strength endurance. Now, this is a potent tool for cyclists, but guess what? It's also magical for running. And I've yet to meet a runner who hasn't immediately realized, hang on, this is really helping my running. It's got a wonderful cross-pollination effect. Finally, in riding, look, you've got great options. You can do some lower stress supporting riding. That's a wonderful tool for general conditioning endurance, and it really acts to mix things up. But a lot of short intervals, a lot of heavy strength endurance work. Super. What about the rower? Well, this is a really good tool as well. And many people make the mistake of thinking rowing as an arm-driven sport, but it's not. It's leg-driven. And so, in fact, the way that the mechanics of rowing work is really, really useful for runners because it tends to recruit muscles in what we call the posterior chain. A lot of strengthening of the back, but then driving through the glutes, the hips, the hamstrings, all the way through to the calves. And many of these muscles are harder to really fully deploy for recreational runners. And so if we put these runners on the, on the rowing ergometer, and we integrate harder intervals, there's a forced recruitment and conditioning of these running muscles. And that opens the door that then when they go running, ha they're there, they're available, ready for utilization. And finally, in multi-sport, another gem, the swim. You see, when you go swimming, you're in an environment where 90% of your body weight is displaced. So there's very low 
risk of injury, especially to the lower body. And what you have here is a playground where you can radically improve cardiovascular conditioning and intervals. And in fact, if you speak to most triathlon coaches, they love swimming training. And it's because they can leverage swimming intervals more often during the week than any other discipline. You can actually whack an athlete with more high stress work and they recover quicker in the swim discipline. Now, we always need to keep a keen sense on overall global systemic fatigue, but there is the opportunity there. Now, with all of these, you don't have to swim or row or ride or even do elliptical. This is all athlete dependent. But in order for you to truly optimize the return on your overall program, the addition of an extra sport or two becomes a really powerful tool in the toolkit. And let's finish this up, folks, today, talking about walk breaks, the fourth component. I just want to give you one example. Here's a normal session that you might see. Poor Jenny. Jenny, I want you to go and run six miles at an endurance effort. And so Jenny, she looks at the program. She's like, six miles. Goodness me, that's a long way. Okay. And she gets going. And gradually, fatigue starts to creep in. And her cost of holding her pace goes up. And her fatigue goes up more because her cost is going up and her efficiency starts to decline and her enjoyment declines because it just doesn't feel that good. And ultimately, the last miles of her six mile run are a bit of a drag. But she does have the badge of honor that she finished the darn thing. Put a checkbox in it. Remember what we talked about? Performance decline, injury risk, joy evaporation, all that stuff. How about we shift things up? Same type of session. Jenny, I just want you to go and run 60 minutes. She'll probably get about five or six miles in that time. Go run 60 minutes for me. But I'm going to have you break it up. What I want you to do is I want you to run for four minutes, and then I'm going to have you walk for 45 seconds. Then you can go back again and run for four minutes, and then I want you to walk for only 30 seconds. Then I want you to go back and run for four minutes. And then I want you to walk for 15 seconds. And I want you to carry on through that cycle. And you can keep doing it until that four-minute piece of running starts to feel tougher or you start to really notice form declining. And then you're going to shift. You're going to manage it a little bit. It's very simple. Same pattern, 45-second walk, 30-second walk, 15-second walk repeated. But instead now, move to three minutes of running. Three on 45 off, three on 30 off, three on 15 off. And then keep doing that and keep repeating this until those three-minute sections start to feel really tough or you start to experience some form decline. And then you're going to manage again and you're going to move to two minutes. Two minutes of running, 45-second walk, two minutes of running, 30-second walk. You get the picture. Now, what we've done here for Katie is we've empowered her. We've taken a big problem, six miles, or in this case, 60 minutes, and we've broken it into little projects. And she's got a toolkit of management. And so she's going to begin patient. But the hope and her goal of this is that she should be running with great form, full engagement, and real purpose in the final 15 minutes of the 60 minutes. Quite frankly, I don't care if she's doing two-minute sections or three-minute sections or four minutes of sections, how she started it. What I want is her engagement, form, and purpose is just as good in the last 15 minutes as it was in the first. Now, what she's done in this session is that she's finished without any of the form decline, without any of the evaporating joy. But what she hasn't lost is she hasn't lost any of the physiological cardiovascular conditioning goals. She also hasn't reduced any of the benefit of muscular endurance. And instead, she's done the session with great confidence and building form, but without any unwanted tissue damage. And so on top of it all, she's going to have a really quick bounce back for future training with more confidence and a session well done. And guess what? On top of it all, more enjoyment. Yeah, there's that magic word again, fun. Folks, it's okay to make it fun. And folks... That is how we do it. A multi-sport approach to running. And it isn't for everyone. But it is likely for you. And I realize today's episode is going to leave many folks to poo-poo it, reject it, say it ain't so. 
Because these are the same folks that told me 15 years ago that I was a quack when I started talking about the absolute essential role of recovery in endurance sports. Yeah, not so quack-like. Quite integrated into endurance sports now. You see, you need to evolve. You've got to be brave. And guess what? I really think you're going to love it. So I hope it helps. If you listen and you feel like you need help or support or further questions, just ping us an email. Info at purplepatchfitness.com. We'd be happy to help and set up a time to chat. All right. Really looking forward to next time. We're going to talk about training camps, but thank you for listening. And until then, stay happy, stay safe. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if we share with your friends and really go the extra mile. Head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to follow, rate, and review the show. Your support and reviews go a long way to increasing our visibility and, of course, the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive, just like me and you. Don't forget... You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to the episode resources and all of our programs can be found at purplepatchfitness.com. Thanks much for listening. Take care.